Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. He's had this incredible encounter with Jesus and he wants to share that with everybody because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. That's what we should be doing. Now, should you feel bad if you're not? Not totally, but kind of. If I'm honest, because then what does that say about me? Then what does it say about my condition if I'm not stoked about Jesus? Jesus hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. The amazing story that he's done in my life has not changed. The only thing that has changed has been me. If you ever buy a new pair of pants and they exceed expectations, how excited do you get? Don't you go out and tell everyone who will listen how amazing your pants are? How they're more than you've ever hoped that they'd be? Pastor James reminds us today that that's the level of zeal we should feel on a regular basis, just knowing that Christ is alive and that He loves us. Don't you want to tell everyone what He's done for you? What He's done in you? Don't get so caught up in anxieties that you forget what He's already accomplished. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts chapter 9 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. chapter 9. Turn there if you don't mind. We will not be finishing this chapter today, (laughs) but we will be concluding the story, so to speak, of Saul, all right? And today's lesson, if I were to throw one word on it, sum up this message in one word, it would be perseverance. Perseverance. Faithful, continually faithful in a singular direction. It would be how I would define that. I don't know if that's a technical definition. I didn't even bother looking it up. But that's what I know from life experience. That's what perseverance is. It's never giving up. And that's what we're going to learn from from Paul. Uh, So as you're turning there, Acts chapter 9, I'm going to just share with you guys a story of um, a lady I became familiar with uh, over the course of this week. She's since passed away, but her story continues on. And it's Florence Chadwick. She was born in San Diego, California, one of my favorite cities. That's a beautiful town. Anyways, uh, Florence, she, she was born and raised there. Uh, she had this uncanny, just natural ability to swim, just to swim. She was a fantastic swimmer. In fact, she was a great long-distance swimmer, long-distance swimmer. I mean, it just came natural to her from the age of six. I mean, she was setting records. But long-distance swimming wasn't enough for her. What she wanted was to be a speed swimmer. What she wanted was to compete in the Olympics and win gold medals, you know, for the shorter races. And over time, and she's just a phenomenal uh, swimmer. She's absolutely gifted and athletic and all that stuff. But every time she went to qualify for the Olympics, she came in fourth. And they only took the top three. And she fell. And she failed. In her mind, she did. I mean, come on. Any of us finish in fourth if we're the Olympic qualifiers. I mean, that's success. But for her, it wasn't. And she gave it up. And she gave it up. She ended up getting married. I think she had a couple, or no, she never had children, but she, she ended up getting married and she pursued her career and all this stuff. And as time went on and she grew and she matured, it came back to her that she's like, you know what? I, I was almost suited or designed for long distance swimming. Maybe I'll go back to that. 
because it's never too late. And she went back to long distance swimming. She actually ended up setting um, several more records. She swam the, um, the English Channel. She swam it one way and then back, which is insane. Uh, the, the most famous story, well, that's famous, but one of the most famous stories concerning her would be her attempt to swim from Catalina Island to the shore, California, which is crazy because there's a bunch of sharks out there. Um, so she had a bunch of little boats on the side of her, shark spotters is what they're called. But they were in the, the fog was so dense and so heavy. And she's swimming, she's swimming, she's swimming. Her mom's in one of the boats. And she calls out to her mom, and she says, I can't do it. And she gave up, only to discover she was a mile away from the shore. She didn't let that set her back, though. She came back, and she did it again. Same fog, but different determination. She envisioned the shore was just right there, was just right there. The whole point of this thing is she started off with this great ability to swim long distances, but that never satisfied her early on. She wanted this. She could do this, but she wanted this. And in her pursuit of this, she gets frustrated, and she gives up on all of it. She gave up on all of it until she grew up, until she matured. And then she realized, I was created to do this. And then she went back to that, and she did that really well. That's the story of the Apostle Paul. That's his story. You'll see, as we're going to go through this, he had many attempts. He was called to do one thing. God had set him apart for one group of people, Gentiles. But Paul was determined to go to the Jews, the Jews. And that didn't work. That didn't work. But he was going to need some time to, well, to kind of grow up a little bit. So let's look at this. Verse, uh, I don't even know where we're at. Let's go in verse 19. We were talking about Acts chapter 9. That's Saul on his way to Damascus to go arrest Christians, to drag them back to Jerusalem. He has all the arrest warrants he needs. They've been all issued. Okay, he's got them. He's like a bounty hunter kind of guy. He's going out there to go get these guys and drag them back to Jerusalem. On his way to Damascus, Jesus showed up and ruined his plans in the best way possible. It was on the roads of Damascus. Saw a bright light, heard the Lord speaking to him. He goes into greater detail uh, in his own personal account of this story than what Luke does. But essentially, Jesus shows up, and he's like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? That's what Paul would say that was told him. Basically, he's saying, like, Saul, what are you fighting against? What are you fighting against? It's really hard for you to continue on in this way of life when you know what the right thing to do is. Why are you not doing the right thing? Why are you kicking against the goats? That would be Paul's, uh, his own account from that, of what he said, this is what Jesus said to me. And that connects back to the story of Stephen when Saul was there consenting to Stephen's death. And that was a witness to Saul as he watched this man die gracefully, as he's being stoned to death, and he's looking up, and he says, I see Jesus. I see him standing at the right hand of the Father. He's watching this man die in a way that nobody has ever died before in one sense, probably other than Jesus. And, and that, it's, that's been messing with Saul. It's been messing with him. That was the Lord's way of planting that seed and kind of starting to communicate to him in the sense of like, come on, dude, you got to knock it off. I got a job for you. So on his way to Damascus, that's when Jesus shows up. He ends up being blinded. He has to be led into Damascus to this guy whose name is Ananias. 
uh, who the Lord had already spoken to him to let him know, hey, listen, Saul's coming. You're going to lay hands on him. You're going to pray for him. This dude's going to be used mightily. And Ananias is like, Mm-mm, no, I don't think so. This guy's a bad guy. The Lord tells him, he's like, listen, just minister to him. So Saul is led there. And after he, he eats, he, you know, he spends about three days in total blindness. Uh, he eats some food. This is ver- verse 19 where we pick up. So Acts 9, 19. It says, afterward, he ate some food and was strengthened. This is, this is Saul. He hasn't had his name changed to Paul yet. So if you're thinking there's some confusion there, it just hasn't happened yet. So right now, he's still Saul, but he's a Christian. Verse 19 goes on. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, you can note that, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the Son of God. Well, well hold on. You can't just go and preach about Jesus being the Son of God unless you have the proper training. Have you met Jesus? Yeah? You're qualified. What are you waiting for? I mean, what do you you need? Have you met him? Paul, Saul, met him on the road and had such an encounter. And I'm sure over the course of three days of being blinded, and can you imagine the internal and maybe even physical conversations that he's having with the Lord over that time. But it only took him three days to where he got, he got some food in him, he got strengthened, he got his sight back, and he was on mission to convince everybody that Jesus is the Son of God. Immediately, he was in the synagogues. Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Verse 21, all who heard him were amazed. Is it the same man who persecuted Jesus' followers with such devastation in Jerusalem, they asked? And we understand that he came here to arrest them and to take them in chains to the leading priests. So here's what the buzz is, what, this is what's happening. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the bad guy, right? This is the guy who spoke against these Christians, and now he's one of them? So people are starting to notice. They already knew his, of his reputation. They knew who he was. But here he is proclaiming a totally different message. And a lot of people believe that in between verses 21 and 22 is when Paul actually goes away into the Arabian desert for three years. He references it, that, that moment in Galatians chapter 1. If it happens in this, this time period, I, you know, it may or may not. Does it really matter when it happened? Not exactly. OK, here's the point. Paul is, is growing in his relationship now with Jesus, but he's got this, this boldness already. He's going to tell people about Jesus. That's just what he's going to do, because he's fired up. He's had this incredible encounter with Jesus, and he wants to share that with everybody, because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. That's what we should be doing. Now, should you feel bad if you're not? Not totally, but kind of. If I'm honest, because then what does that say about me? Then what does it say about my condition if I'm not stoked about Jesus? Jesus hasn't changed. The gospel hasn't changed. The amazing story that he's done in my life has not changed. The only thing that has changed has been me. Maybe the fire has dwindled. Maybe the fire is going out. Maybe the flames just need to be stoked again. You get saved. You have this encounter with Jesus. And I'm not saying this is every day. We, we know it doesn't work that way. I mean, it can, but it doesn't always work that way. But man, there should be this thing inside of us that's just excited about Jesus. I just want to tell people about him. Is that going up to a stranger just, you know, on the street and whatever? Yeah, you can do that. 
But maybe you have a conversation with somebody you know, and, and they're just listing all this stuff and things that are going wrong in their lives, and they're like, you know what? Um, I can relate to that. But you know what the difference maker for me was? Jesus. Jesus. I know what it's like to live a life in turmoil. I know what it's like to live a life of no peace. I know what it's like to live a life of frustration. But you know who changed all that for me? Jesus. He did. Paul's got this passion. He's got, I mean, and he's just going. I mean, just nonstop. He's going to go. So there is a moment in time in his life where he goes into the desert for about three years where he gets kind of like a Bible college training. I'm sure that that's kind of what it is. It's him and the Lord. There's nobody else around. So he's going to grow in his, his, his knowledge and his understanding of, of who the Lord actually is and what the gospel truly is. And the belief is then he comes back to Damascus. And he comes back to Damascus, this place where he met Jesus. This is not his home. But so we'll pick up in 22. With that as our kind of our understanding, we'll, we'll just assume that he went off to Bible college and now he's back in Damascus. Okay, verse 22, it says, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. There would be a reason behind that, okay? And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, the Jewish leaders decided to kill him. There you go. These are his homeboys. These are his guys, like the guys he ran with. He was like the top guy in their whole organization. He was the man concerning Pharisees, Sadducees, all the religious people. He had the greatest potential out of all of them. And now they're like, this guy's a problem. We need to kill him. Welcome back to Damascus. And these are your own brothers, too. Uh, it says, but Saul was told about their plot and that they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. There is no hiding this at all. They had the intent to snuff him out, just totally take this dude out. Verse 25, so during the night, some of the other believers let him down in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. That, in case you don't understand that, is a very humbling event in a man's life. OK, hey, listen, so um, these dudes want to kill you, but we got a way out. We need you to crawl inside this basket, and we're going to put the lid on it, and we're going to lower you over the wall or through the wall or however. When you're somebody like Saul, you don't want to be put in a basket. You don't want to be put in a basket. How do we know that this would be traumatic? I'll read to you from what, what Paul actually said about this event. He lists his many trials in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He goes on to list all the stuff that has ever happened to him, all right? So essentially what, what Paul says to the Church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians, he says this. He's like, listen, um, I've been shipwrecked three times. Um, I spent a night in the deep. These guys have beaten me with rods uh, multiple times, you know, 40 minus 1, so 39. Uh, I, I was basically stoned to death, essentially, um, left for dead. All these things have happened to me. And the last thing he lists, the very last thing he lists on that, on that list is, and they lowered me over a wall in a basket. Now, that's got to be like, that kind of thing would be maybe top of the list. Let me start with an easy one, right? No, he saves that for last. He remembered it. And he's like, it was horrible, you know, because I'm thinking, Paul, he's got this mindset and this bravado kind of attitude where he's like, I'm just going to go through the gate. Let him try to kill me. Let him try. He had that mentality. 
And they're like, no, 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 Paul, we got to put you in a basket. He's like, I am not going in a basket. If you came to me and said, James, we need to put you in a suitcase, and we're going to sneak you over, no, you are not. No, you will not, OK? Because that just seems totally undignified to me. I will not be put in a suitcase. So thank you for watching out for me, but I'll just, whatever needs to happen will happen, OK? Let's, we'll let the Lord sort that out. But this stuck with Paul all throughout his ministry. But this had to happen. Here's what I love about this part. One thing that stuck out to me concerning this section, normally I, I, I study through the ESV. That's my translation. I love that one. Um, New King James, phenomenal, amazing. I'm reading from New Living Translation because it's just like teaching from this one. Uh, but the ESV phrased it like this. It said, um, some of his disciples. His. Well, who's the his? Who's that? Saul. Saul is the idea. Well, how's he, how can you, you can't have disciples? You just got saved. No, no, no. You don't understand Christianity. Oh, see, we think we have to be saved for years, and you have to be, yeah, you should be mature, I hope, and you should be growing in your walk with the Lord, absolutely. But if you think discipleship happens down the road, years down the road, you might be missing out. Because somebody can get saved, be just filled with the Holy Spirit, and we see that Paul, Saul, is growing in his understanding, and his, his preaching has become more and more powerful. As he's back in Damascus, I mean, he got three years of Bible college. He's got guys following him around. And my understanding of it is this. His guys find out that they want to take out their teacher. The question that comes is, who's watching your back? Who are your disciples? Disciple means student. So let's take away the religious, weird ambiguity of that word. Disciple means student. So we're all called to make disciples. There's no getting around it. Jesus said himself in the end of the Gospels to his followers, go and make disciples, OK? Period. That's the command. So we ought to be making disciples. Paul is obeying that command. He is making disciples. Now, they're not technically disciples of Paul in that sense. They are disciples following Jesus as they follow Paul, as he's teaching them and showing them and demonstrating to them what it means to be a believer. Christians should have disciples. You should. You should. You should be discipled by someone. You should have somebody in your life who mentors you, who speaks into your life, who is teaching you and training you and all that good stuff. You have to have that. But you also need to be raising up others. You need to be investing in the lives of others. And that's the best term I, I, I think is used to describe discipleship. It's investing in others. Who are your disciples? Who are your disciples? Who are you teaching the Lord to? Who are you modeling good Christian, Christ-centered behavior in your life to? Who's following you? Because there might just come a day when maybe a plot has been devised against you. And what you want is somebody who has your back, who has your best interests in mind and says, you know what? They're coming for you. And we know that the, all the attacks aren't, especially concerning the, the, the church and Christian realm, 
they're not physical, they're, they're spiritual. So who's praying for you? Who's watching your back in that sense? You got to have it. You got to have it. Because the enemy's coming for you. Surprise, surprise. If you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, you already know this. I don't have to tell you this, but I will remind you of it because it's my job. The enemy is coming for you. He's waiting at the gate. Who do you have in your life who's willing to shove you in that basket, so to speak, and get you over the wall? Who are the ones who are watching your back and they're praying for you continually? And who are you praying for continually? Can you pray for me, please? Because I need that. I need that. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I'll admit it. I need, as a pastor, my goodness, I can't even begin to describe to you the warfare that myself and my family face. I can't even begin to describe it to you. So I'll take it. I'll take the prayers. I'll take all the prayers you can give to me. I will take it gladly. Because what we're learning four years, almost five years into this thing, we need it. We need it. You need somebody who's watching your back. You have to have that. You have to have that. But you got to be investing in other, other people as well. So, so please do that. Here's what's crazy. Saul's not, he's leaving Damascus. That's a good thing, right? You don't need to stick around. If there are people are trying to kill you in a town, it's not the best idea to stick around there, okay? So, you know, count it off. But here's, here's Saul trying to like, I'm, I'm going to reach the Jews. I'm going to reach the Jews because I want to reach the Jews. I want to reach my brothers. And so he's trying in Damascus. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. They just want him dead. Verse 26, then Saul arrived in Jerusalem a city he knew very well, also a city where it'd be very dangerous for him to go back to. Because I can promise you this, word has gotten back to Jerusalem concerning the events in his life. He tried to meet with the believers. Some, say, some of the translations say disciples. We don't know which disciples you know, or any of that, but he tries to meet with the believers, but they are all afraid of him. Of course they are. They thought he was only pretending to be a believer, right? Because what a great plan. It could be a mole, right? You can like sneak into there and, and do all that stuff. But no, they're like, listen, uh, he's saying all the right stuff, and he seems less angry. So I don't know. Maybe he's just a really good actor. So we're not, we don't trust you. Here's what's cool about this. Just to continue on concerning who's got your back, Barnabas. Barnabas shows up for the first time, as far as we know, in Paul's life. It says, then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus. Barnabas also told them what the Lord had said to Saul and how he boldly preached in the name of Jesus in Damascus. This is Barnabas speaking on behalf of Saul. This is not Saul talking to the apostles, pleading his case. The beauty of this part of the story is Barnabas who means son of encouragement, basically, comes alongside Saul and says, no, 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 hold on, guys. Let me vouch for him. Let me tell you his story. He, he had to have already known it or he heard about it. We don't know if he heard about it from Saul or if it maybe came secondhand, but Barnabas is already up to speed with every single detail of Paul's testimony. What an amazing thing it is when somebody who is closely connected to you, in this case, this is basically two strangers coming together, but somebody close to you comes alongside you and says, no, no, let me tell you their testimony. 
That's phenomenal. How incredible to learn about the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of the apostles within the early church. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're so glad that you joined us in this study through the book of Acts. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more from Pastor James, feel free to visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the teachings tab. We'd also love to hear from you. So would you let us know how you've been blessed by Bread for the Broken? You can drop us a note through the contact page on our website. While you're visiting breadforthebroken.com, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Calvary Chapel Galveston. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you visit. So for directions, service times, and to learn more about us, just visit breadforthebroken.com. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we encourage you to read ahead and to begin to study the book of Acts on your own. Although it may seem unrelatable because it took place thousands of years ago, that couldn't be further from the truth. God is still living and active today, and His Spirit is present and seeking those who believe. And if you let Him, God can do incredibly powerful things through you for the kingdom. So the question we'll leave you with today is, will you say yes to what God is doing? And will you trust in Him to move today just as He did all of those years ago? There's still so much to learn from the book of Acts, but that's all the time we have for today. Join us again next time, right here on Bread for the Broken.